You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Go Big Blue? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great response. I never get that when I say, go New England? Yeah, so it's not the same, yeah. Hey, listen, apart from New England, we've been big fans of Brady for about 12 years now, so no bandwagoning, just part of Michelle and I, our history. But we're new to the whole football engagement, like going to games and so forth. I mean, when my son told me he wanted to play football, not basketball, you know, I was a little crushed, but I was like, he's not me. He's his own person, so let's pray it up. We thought it was a good decision. Let's let him run with it. He's kind of built like me, you know, kind of a small frame guy, so I'm a little, you know, a little scared being his dad that he's going to get squashed out there or something like that, but he's having a blast, and we're going to some games and just enjoying it all, even though we're kind of rookies to that experience. So not last night, but last week, we were actually at the game. We're up in the nosebleed sections, and it is a hot Day And it's just Christian and I, we're hanging out, father-son time. Family behind us, this dad's got this cute little guy. You know, that's daddy's boy right there, about three or four years old. I don't know what went down. All I know is I hear yelling. And the dad's like, why'd you step on that pizza? That's a fourth of a pizza. That's $2. Why did you do that? Just ripping in to this little fella. And I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, I kind of want to say something. I kind of want to say something like, hey, dad, um, if, if this is a pattern of how this actually plays out, how adversity plays out in your life, I bet you'll forget about it. I bet you'll go home today and you'll forget all about this. But if this really is the pattern, I bet your little boy is not going to forget about this because there's probably more moments just like this. I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, should I do that? And I give one more glance back and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that for two reasons. One, I'm here with my son. We're bonding. And number two, that's a really big dude. I mean, he's just a big guy, so I just hands off that. But anyway, we're there. We sit through the whole game. We're sweating. I've got glasses on. Christian's got his sunglasses on. We enjoy the whole game. We hear, and I'll tell you more about this later on in the sermon, but we get the message over the loudspeaker with just a few moments left in the fourth quarter that Cooper Drive has been closed. So hang on to that for just a little bit. But my son and I stay for the entire game. We leave. I noticed that evening, you know, it's a Saturday. That evening, I'm starting to itch a little on my face, my forehead, just itching, want to scratch it. It's feeling a little sensitive, burning, tingling, then painful. And I get up the next morning and I realize, oh, okay, I'm like the villain from an old DC Marvel kind of movie, Two-Face. This side over here is normal. This side over here is just sunburned, right? Red. So literally look like that, two different people. And I kid you not, and I know this probably doesn't transfer immediately, but I bet the impact and how you feel it, you'll get what I'm saying. For just a brief few moments when I looked in there, the sunburn, it decreased my desire to be at church Sunday morning. You see, if you're in David Green's psyche, I'm a very fast-paced person. I talk fast, just ask my wife, wherever we're going, slow down, David, slow down. I eat fast, drive fast. I have to be really intentional right now so that I don't start talking really, really quickly and just go over things. We got to get stuff done, right? That's how I am. So in my fast-paced mind, I'm thinking, okay, I know I'm sunburned. I get it. Let's just go on. I've got stuff to do. 
I'm going to be at church, some things I can do, take care of some stuff, touch base with some people. I just don't want to have to go through all the conversations about, hey, where were you? Hey, where'd you get that son? Hey, did you know your son? You know, stuff like that. I, I don't have time for it. I got stuff to do. And maybe it doesn't transfer immediately, but I bet you've been there. And if we have any new people, welcome. Because I know that there's some stuff when you get up and you look at yourself in the mirror and there's some stuff about you you don't like and you see it and you've got a clear visual. Or maybe it's rooted in a little bit of pain in the past. And there's just something that's a part of you and you're not happy with, you're not content. And it really decreases your desire to be here or to be connected. And you know that if you step foot through these doors, if someone knows, it increases the risk that somebody's going to bring it up and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you're anything like me, if something's happened and you deal with it, you want it to be done. You don't want anyone bringing it up, talking about it. It's over, right? And maybe that's where you are. You got some stuff that's over and good. I'd like to take a poll, actually. I'd like to take a poll of us, and we don't have time to do it, but have you ever seen those churches that do the cardboard confessions? I just love to see where we are and to hear our stories. And that's really one of the reasons I'm telling you about last week's game. When I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the sunburn, I'm looking in the mirror and I see it, I came to church anyway. You know, prayed through all that, came anyway for one of two reasons. I mean, come on, it's a sunburn, right? Just man up and go to church. (laughs) But number two, that really is part of my story. And I thought, hey, as a communicator, if I go on to church, well, I can use it later on as a good story. And now here it is. So you have no excuse when you find yourself in those similar scenarios. You either have a choice to man up or person up, whichever you prefer, or you have an opportunity to say, this is really, it's part of my story. That's important. Monty did a great job last week kicking off Galatians, this series about authentic community, because no story stands alone. When you think about authentic biblical community, It's where you and I, we both understand our personal stories and even how our stories are intertwined with one another, how we relate to each other. And that's when we experience this idea of authentic community. So Monty did a great job laying out the gospel and Paul's push for the gospel. And I want to spend the rest of our time together just unpacking that and giving a really good fleshed out theology of the gospel, if you will, because Paul's writing to a group of churches. It's not one church and like the Galatian church. Galatia is kind of an area. You got north and south and there's all kinds of churches throughout there. So he's writing to these guys. And what's really interesting is that he's writing to Christians. He's talking about the gospel, not as this evangelistic tool necessarily, but the gospel is pertinent for Christians as well. So when you think about the gospel, Paul says, hey, we've all got an experience with it. So he comes up, chapter one, verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers, Please get this. This gospel I preach to you, it's not something that man made up. I'm not passing on another little story. And what's beautiful about that is this. Paul had an experience with the gospel. It grabbed him right where he was. And it began transforming him. And that's the beauty of it. If we could hold up those pieces of cardboard... It'd be really interesting to see just where we were when the gospel grabbed us. 
We have an experience in this. Sure, you've got pastors teaching about it. You're connected with a Bible study or you watch sermons online or you read books. But I know you've experienced the gospel playing out in your life. So instead of doing the cardboard uh, confession poll, let's do this and we can do this right now in-house. By a show of hands, if you could define the gospel, how many of you think you could do it? In a clear, crisp sentence, you're good. You think, yeah, I can define the gospel. Gotcha. Now keep holding your hands up. Now do you, you who are holding your hands up, what verse would you use? Because the Bible, it actually defines the gospel. There's a specific verse that lays out what the gospel includes. So those of you with your hands up, how many of you are very confident that you've got this verse? That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. Paul says, this isn't something man made up. This is God's movement in your life. And he writes another letter to the church at Corinth, and this is what he says. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the gospel I preach to you, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. This is the gospel. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. So here's the gospel, and this is the first important stuff of the gospel. This is the nuts and bolts. This is what it is. Christ, number one, died for our sins. First component. So whatever you had put on that piece of cardboard, Jesus Christ died for that. And if you've accepted him, you have an experience, a stake in this gospel. This point in history, if you will, this means something to you. So Paul comes to the Galatian church and he says, hey, if you're losing sight, and this is what Monty hit home so well last week, if you're losing sight of the gospel, it doesn't matter what other area you're growing in, your spiritual life will begin to unravel. This is it. This is what we have to hold on to, and it's for all of us who are believers. Christ died for our sins. Next, he was buried. Next, he was raised on the third day. That is the gospel. We want to move beyond the idea that when you say, hey, what's the gospel? And someone says, the good news. And you say, hey, what's the good news? And someone says, well, it's the gospel. We want to move beyond that to say, what's the gospel? What's the good news? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That wherever you are in life, wherever you were when he met you, and wherever you are now, he will meet you. That this guy, Jesus, took your place. He took my place and said, that stuff on the box. I can move you beyond that. I can shift you, transform you, change you, if you will. Now, let me take you back. This guy, Paul, who's writing this letter, let me take you back into his story. You remember that he has an, another name. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And let me take you back to a certain part of his story. And remember, no story stands alone. And this is part of his story. Take you back to a moment when there was a guy going around and he was preaching. His name was Stephen. And he was talking about this guy, Jesus, and encouraging people to put their stake in Jesus, to leave all the other belief systems and just say, it's Jesus that you need to stake your life in. 
And they were moving on from traditions and rituals and a way of life. And some people didn't like it, so they had this huge event. They picked up stones and they killed the guy. They stoned this guy, Stephen, to death. And when you read that story in Acts 7 and 8, there's a guy hanging around named Saul. And he's there and he's just cheering it on. He's excited about the action. And he writes about that. He knows that's part of his past, but it's no longer defining him, even though he keeps it as part of his story. He goes on in this first chapter of Galatians. Notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. He said, hey, you've heard all about it. You know the skeletons in my closet. You know my junk. You know my baggage. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. Hang on this slide for just a moment. Some of you know when you read later in Paul's writings that he even identifies himself as the chief or the worst of sinners. Remember that? Part of his story, he's looking back on this and says, there was this great movement of God, but I was pushing back on it to the point where I tried to destroy it. And I love that Paul includes this part of his story here. He's being raw and real. You know about me. You know who I am. You know my past. Here's what it is. I was a Jew. I was doing this. God was doing his thing. I was doing my thing, and I was fighting against it. And I, you know, meeting with people over a couple of decades, I hear that language a lot. I was fighting against God. And it's curious for me as a pastor, if there's anybody in here this morning who would describe their lives that way. Fighting against God. So he goes on. And he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews, and I love his language here, of my own age. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Don't you love how Paul just includes that? Yeah, I was was so far beyond people my own age. My peers, oh, it was great. That competitive language. I want us to do something. Uh, I've never done this here before, but I thought it'd be a great practice for it. I call it active repentance. Ever heard of it? Yeah, I just, I, I just invented it. Active repentance. Invented it first service. Just kidding. Active repentance. Here's what we want to do. I want you to start thinking about pride. And maybe for you, it is some kind of competition. That's how you would think of pride. Or maybe it's more like, like vanity, like looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing your sunburn and like, you know, I can't go to church. Something like that. Or maybe it's wrapped up in the word or words, the descriptors you would put on that piece of cardboard. But you've got some form of pride, and here's what I'm talking about, and it's going to hit you in one of two ways. Some of you are like this. You crave approval. You need it. Maybe you didn't get the right amount as a child. Maybe there's some disconnect in your story. But you crave approval. You thrive on it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And then some of you are the opposite. You, you don't need the approval necessarily, but you cringe at the thought of disapproval. You're fearful that someone's going to look down on something you've done, even if you thought it was the best and right thing to do. And both of these give pride a segue into our lives, and it begins to manipulate us so we don't know our story as we should. And what happens? We begin to give people power over our heart, who we are, power that they should never possess. 
And you feel those moments where you're trying to please someone. You're trying to gain something from someone. And it's as if you're giving them the power that only God should have, as if he's evoking these emotions of inferiority or insecurity in your life. And what happens? You and I begin to build behaviors built on pleasing someone else. We need that applause or that approval of someone. Can we repent of that right now? And maybe that will be a work in progress for a while. I understand that. But can we right now in the context of authentic community say about a 20, 30 second prayer, I'll lead us and allow God to convict you where pride is slipping in to your life. When pride slips into your life, it will pull you away from the gospel. Can we do that? Father, right now, in the midst of this service where we believe you are here, we just sing a powerful song inviting you to be so invested, so involved into our lives. We sing full voice, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fill this place. Flood it with who you are, the deepest parts of who we are. Reach down in there, Father, and grab us with the gospel. Show us where pride is popping up in our lives and where we need to check it. Remind us, Father, so that our lives don't unravel that Christ died for our sins. And even though he was buried, he was raised. We have an experience in that. May we reclaim it this morning. And if pride, Father, is prompting anything in us that takes away from your movement in our lives, forgive us and realign us with you right now in this very moment. Through Jesus we pray, amen. What I love about this verse is, you see, Paul's got this crazy story where he was fighting against the church, even to the point of some people probably lost their lives because of him. And then he puts a new spin on it and says, but wait a minute, this gospel, it grabbed me and changed me. And I love the spin he puts on it. You know Michael Jr., the comedian? Super funny guy. I want to show you a different part of him just for a moment. Check out this video. Notice the language he uses. I also started noticing around that age I was having a hard time reading. Now, I noticed it before that, but right around 14 years old, I'm also noticing girls. And I don't want the girls to know I'm struggling with my reading. So if I saw a word, let me say, by the way, as an adult, I read just fine. Like the signs over the door that say excite, I can read that stuff. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I would struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound a word out phonetically. It just, it just didn't work. So I would have to look at the word differently. I would look at the font size, the color of the word, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people are responding to it. I came up with all these ways to look at a word to determine what it was. By the time I got to high school, I was so fast at this. People didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place where I pull my comedy from. So that very thing that looked like it was a handicap when I was a kid, God didn't cause it, but he was using it in preparation for what he asked me to do. It wasn't a handicap. It's almost as if I was practicing. I just didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this one more time so you can really understand what I'm saying. That thing from your past, you never met your dad before, you were divorced, 
whatever that is, God didn't cause it, but he will use it in preparation for what he has you to do. Somebody may need to hear your story. You've been practicing. You just didn't know you were practicing. I love that language. No story stands alone, and someone may need to hear your story. And can I take you back? Because you can take your own self back to your past. I know you can. I can do the same thing. But if I can take you back just a little bit to that guy standing around with the stones, watching this guy, Stephen, lose his life. And now he's cheering on the gospel. Would it be a stretch to say at that moment in Paul's life when he was standing around, yeah, yeah, stone the guy. He was just practicing. So whatever's going on in your life, the stones or the sunburn, whatever hits home for you, maybe it's something that's still lingering. You haven't really repented of. You haven't brought it before God and laid it down. Don't let shame or embarrassment prevent you from seeing that maybe you're just practicing and God can totally transform your life. This is what Paul gets to. He goes on in Galatians 1, and he says, God, it was God who set me apart from birth just like he did every single one of us and has a way, a purpose, a future for every one of us. It was God who called me by his grace, and then he was pleased to reveal his son in me, the guy with the stones, the guy with the cardboard, the guy with the sunburn, me. So here at Northeast, we value grace big time. Um, I love these simple definitions. So if you like to write things down or whatever, I love how I heard mercy and grace contrasted. Uh, Someone once said that mercy is this idea where you deserve discipline. You deserve punishment. But someone is merciful to you, so you do not get what you deserve. Grace is the opposite. You don't deserve it. You deserve the punishment or the discipline. But God chooses to give you something. And it's in this case, life. He chooses to give you life, a new life, a new purpose, a new future. You're no longer practicing. You're on the team. You're playing. It's game time. I love that. Paul goes on and he says this, and I, I, I guess I empathize with this a lot. And I know some of you do too. I've had conversations with you and you get this to the fullest extent. First Corinthians 15, 10. His grace to me, this gift, this free gift that came into my life and got a hold of me, it was not without effect. It changed me. It did something in the way I think about myself. It did something in the way I feel. It moved me like nothing else. God's grace was not without effect. And isn't that beautiful? I mean, you've gotten a gift before, right? Someone slipped you something, you got something in the mail and it excited you, felt good, it calmed you, you're like, great, and made a connection. Magnify that. Through the gospel, God gives us life. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he changes and transforms us. It's beautiful. So when you're thinking about the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I want you to think about something else too. And you can correspond with me. I usually say, hey, don't email me about this. And I want you to know I say that in a humorous way. I say that in a humorous way. Don't email me about it though, really, okay? We can talk about it. And I want you to hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying, okay? I want you to know that I'm not going to spend the next two or three minutes, I'm not preaching the church. 
I'm preaching Jesus, but I want to be really clear in what we're saying. Amandi came to me some time ago and asked me if there was an opportunity for a natural note about baptism in this message. And I reviewed the notes, the direction I felt God wanted me to go with this. And I was like, absolutely. I've already jotted a few things down, and I think this is exactly what we need to hear. But when you think about the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, I want you to think about Northeast. And many of you may not know the history of Northeast. Maybe you know the history of being here for six or seven years. Maybe you know the history of when the church was planted in this area, this particular location. You know the merger of a couple of churches. But it goes a little farther than that. Northeast Christian Church is part of a movement. It's actually called the Restoration Movement. So there were some people thinking, you know what? Here in the new land, if we're going to do church and we're going to do it right, we're really going to be under the umbrella of God's direction with this. We need to make sure church or Christianity is based on New Testament Christianity or church. So they searched the scriptures and saw that there were certain practices or patterns that were playing out in the church. And they wanted to elevate those and say, if that's what was going on in the first century, remember on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit bursts on the scene and two or 3,000 people become Christians, and then all of a sudden the text says, the church was there. What did the church do? We want to make sure we're part of that. So I get a lot of questions about how our church is operated. And as part of the restoration movement, uh, that's why we have a set of elders or a community of elders. Our church is led by a group of men who say, I'm going to pledge the next three years in prayer and oversight of this place to make it as healthy and God-honoring as possible. Because in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, we read about the need for elders in a local church. Uh, the same guy, Paul, said, hey, to one of his missionaries, I put you in this region so you would appoint elders here. So a group of guys a long time ago said, let's restore that and make sure that individual churches are led by a group of elders. Uh, we saw uh, playing out in the pattern, it seems that the early church, every week when they came together, big church, not their small groups, but when they came together like this on a Sunday morning, that they celebrated and honored the Lord's Supper every single week. So we want to do that. So if you've been wondering, hey, why do they do that every week? We didn't do that when I was a kid at the church I went to. That's why. We want to elevate the significance and importance of that. And so regarding Monty's note about baptism, in the early church we see, especially through Paul's letters, that this idea of baptism was really, really important. Actually, the case is made that when someone came to Christ in the first century, it was the same thing as being baptized. They were synonymous. You came to Christ through your baptism, if you will. The idea of a sinner's prayer was non-existent. So you think about death, burial, resurrection. And I'm thinking, how many, maybe you're new here, maybe you're new to the whole church thing. Or maybe you've been here for a while and you would say, I've been trying to follow Jesus for X amount of time, but... You know, that baptism thing is just, I've never thought about it. Or I actually have been thinking about it, but I've never taken the steps. Is that something I need to do? Here's what Paul says to a church in a similar situation. Romans 6, he says, hey, don't you know? Don't you know this great truth that all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore 
buried with him through baptism into death, our death, his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This moment where your faith and God's grace intersect is that moment of baptism. And every time we light up the area over here in the baptistry and someone goes down, we say we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's those other trinity of words we use? They go down, death, burial, and resurrection. This is so important. And when you read through the book of Acts and the church starts expanding, or some of modern day language, when it's reproducing, or there's multiplication, or there's church planting taking place, baptism's elevated. That's the moment where you say, the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, yes, stake, my life is staked in that, and everybody can see it. So if there's some of you that that's been circulating in your mind, hey, maybe that's something that I should do. Yes. Yes, it is something you should do. In Acts, when you see everybody who becomes a Christian in Acts, baptism is right there. You remember the story of a guy traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, and now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. And he's reading from uh, the scroll of Isaiah, written 800 years before Jesus. And the spirit prompts Philip to go up to him and say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, I don't know. Can you explain it to me? So Philip does, and the text says he began to teach Jesus from that passage. And then I love the story. The guy from Ethiopia says, slow down. If this is true, there's some water. What's stopping me from getting baptized? So as a pastor with all the love that I could feel in my heart, let me ask you, what in the world would be stopping you? Why the hesitance? Now's your time. And if you want to talk more about that, I'll be hanging around. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Pray through it, flesh it out, and I can lead you to some more scriptures. I can lead you to Galatians 3, 26, 27, and 28. Those of us who have been baptized have clothed ourselves in Christ. And I would just ask you, without baptism, when did you clothe yourself in Christ? Or I'll take you to Acts 2, where people realize they are sinners and they're like, what do we do? Enough, we can't do this on our own, we need help. And the text says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ so your sins can be forgiven and so you can receive the Holy Spirit. I say without baptism, where is your biblical affirmation that you've received forgiveness and the Holy Spirit? So we elevate those things. But I want you to know that I'm not preaching the church, I'm preaching this movement because all of those things are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a church, what happens when they honor the gospel, just like Paul is calling the Galatian churches to do, when a church honors the gospel, This church becomes God's movement as well. God's movement. This church becomes God's movement where every life matters, regardless of color or race or ethnicity, where every life matters, as some people say, from the womb to the tomb, because this is God's movement. And if this is God's movement, the church becomes a place where the sins of your past, maybe decades old, they can be dealt with and they can be forgiven. Whatever you write on your piece of cardboard. 
And this movement of God means that the church, this movement, this gospel generates a healing for you for any wound you've, you've ever experienced, even if it's decades deep. This is a movement of God so that you're not just coerced into feeling the freedom to be who you finally think you can voice who you are. I finally feel the freedom to be this. No, this is a movement where you can finally feel the freedom to be who God created you to be because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So as Christian and I are leaving uh, the football field, Kroger Field, you see I'm a rookie, right? Football field. As we're leaving uh, Kroger Field, we're coming up on the taped off area there on Cooper Drive, and we're able to walk by on the sidewalk. We're not sure what happened. I get the details a little later, and when I get a few more details, I realize that the parent of this sweet child, I graduated elementary school, eighth grade with this, um, was one of the parents. I hadn't spoken with this parent since eighth grade graduation, and I was debating on whether to reach out or not, so I finally did, and I sent love on behalf of me, my family, and Northeast here. And a few days passed, I really didn't expect to hear from this parent. I thought they're probably in pain and probably blasted with a ton of messages. I got a message a few days ago from this parent and said, thanks for the love. Please continue to pray. It's a hard time. But then, then this parent worded it this way. It, it actually made me think of this closing section, Galatians 1, 22 and 23. Paul's closing out this thought about his story. And he says, you know... I used to be unknown, just personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They didn't know me. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us, he's now preaching the faith he tried to destroy. Now, I'm not saying this parent was, wasn't a Christian. I just didn't know. They were a follower of Jesus. And then they ended this little message with, we trust And we believe that we'll be reunited through Jesus with our little one someday. I had no idea that their faith ran that deep. And that was so profound to me, especially as a parent. You know your story. I know my story. At least I hope you do. Paul knows his story. And he's able to play it out in a very productive way where he can connect authentically with other people and inspire them. So when you think about your past, cardboard, sunburn, what you see in the mirror, it can be dealt with. And if we need to deal with it this morning, let's do that. But I want you to think about it like this too. You'll never forget it. And that's okay. Paul shows us here how to put our past in the proper perspective. He actually writes to another church, and we'll close with this in Philippians 3. Love this language. He says, hey, I do one thing. This is what, this has been my focus for some time. I forget everything behind me, and I look forward to that which is ahead of me. Just stay on the screen for a moment. I forget what's behind, and I focus on what's ahead. Have you heard the cliche saying, it's so true, but it's just been used a lot, that the rearview mirror is so small because we don't see a lot behind us and the windshield's big because we want to see all that. Yeah, you know that. Hope Bertram uh, loaned us her truck a few months ago to move a piece of furniture, and it's a small red S10, and they were in the process of replacing the uh, rearview mirror. So I'm driving that thing, 
And it's a little tricky trying to use these two mirrors and I'm not used to that kind of vehicle. And I couldn't see anything behind me. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This idea that he uses that we translate, forget everything behind me, in the original language is more like it's hidden in sight. And that's why the rear view mirror illustration works. You can still see your past. You can still see what's behind you, but it's minimized. It's hidden in sight. You have a proper perspective because you know your story. And what's more, your story, it's staked in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you're driving through life and you look out, that's where you're headed. And it's all because he died for us. And though he was buried, he was raised again. That's the gospel. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for taking the first step to make things right, even though we were the offending party. We thank you for creating a place of healing and hope. We thank you for dealing with our lives, our stories in a way that we just can't, never could. We thank you, Father, for putting our past in the proper perspective and allowing us to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through our own death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we trust that whatever story is being shared here this morning in this attempt at authentic community, that you're meeting each and every one of us right where we are, right where you need to meet us, just like you did, Paul. May the gospel grab us and change us. To God, may you receive all the glory through your son. Amen. Let's chat a little more if you need to. I'll be down here. I'd love to hear more about your story.